Well, you are listening to Skyfire Radio from our offices in Atlanta, Georgia. I am your host, Matt Sloan. And I'm also your host, Ben Kroll. Well, this week we are taking you back to Fort Collins. As we mentioned, we had the Public Safety UAV Symposium there in June. Got a chance to talk to some of our great speakers, so let's take a listen to the first one. We're here with Brandon Morris from CERTSI, the Security and Emergency Response Training Center. Uh, so thank you so much for being out here. We, we certainly do appreciate it, and, and uh, the partnership that we're building is awesome. Um, tell me about what you guys do at CERTSI and uh, how you got involved in the drone thing and what you're doing up here today. So we do a lot of FEMA training uh, for responders, um, a lot of preparedness training for highway emergency response, tank car emergency response for the rail. Uh, we have a crude by rail scenario where we teach them how to fight flammable liquids fires. Uh, we have a leadership and management course and they're all FEMA sponsored. Uh, so we focus a lot on the FEMA training. Um, and then we also have a uh, managing unmanned aerial systems in emergency response uh, course and tactical courses in HAZMAT. Awesome, and so you guys are out here, uh, you, you kind of set up some stuff on the uh, the hazmat training end of things. So, you know, one of the things that fire departments are using drones for more and more, you know, is hazmat response. So how do you see drones being used in the, in the hazmat industry? Save lives, first and foremost. A lot of the scenarios we have set up here were designed to show them how easily it would be for them to stagger into a hazmat situation and not know about it. With the use of the drones, we're able to identify that hazmat situation and get them in the proper PPE before they go down range. So speaking of PPE, I mean, one of the things that we hear from these guys all the time is, you know, oh, we know we got a truck leaking or a barrel or whatever. Uh, it's going to take me, you know, half hour to get into a suit. The suit, by the way, you know, 2000 2500 bucks. Um, so one of the things, you know, guys are using them for is, you know, fly the drone down range, get, get eyes on, you know, figure out what's coming out of the, you know, the truck, the... The methyl ethyl bad stuff right. is that that's the terminology, right? We don't so. say stuff. <laughs> <laughs> For TV, uh, so you know, what, are you seeing that used a lot? I mean, do you think that's a valuable tool? For sure. That way, you don't send recon teams into unknown environments. Uh, one of the biggest risks of being on a hazmat team is being that first-end team. So you're the guy that's got to go down there and figure out if their initial site assessment is correct. That puts you in that toxic atmosphere or flammable atmosphere without any concrete knowledge of what's going on. With the drones, we're able to get in there and, and get concrete evidence that what we suspected was true. We can go back and select the proper VV and then, and then go in and do what we need to do. So what about um, intrinsic, intrinsic safety? I know that's a question we get all the time. There are no drones right now on the market that are intrinsically safe. Is that a concern? Should people be worried about flying into a cloud? You should plan for it for sure, but the temperatures that these motors generate aren't going to be enough to ignite most atmospheres. Um, you look at the ignition temperatures of most of the chemicals that we deal with and then the altitudes that we're flying at, so it's, it's, going, to, it's going to disperse as it goes up into the column. I don't see it being that big of a concern unless you actually flew into the cloud. The solution to pollution is dilution, right? That's, that's right. how it goes. See, I'm learning as I go. drones. Right, right, exactly, right. Same difference. Uh, one other question I had for you. What about hazmat monitors on drones? So that's something that we've been exploring. We haven't found a good way to actually have them on the drone because of the area of influence of the prop wash. Uh, so that either dilutes your sample or blows your sample away altogether. Um, so the solution that we found is actually delivering uh, hazmat sensor payloads into the toxic environments or downwind from the toxic environments to monitor for it. And that's part of what we're doing in our testing out at the site at, at CERTSI. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to a great partnership as we continue on with this thing. And uh, thanks so much again. Thank you. Well, Brandon, thank you so much for that. We are thrilled to be partners with you guys. Next, we're going to listen to Dane Brockmiller from Dane Brockmiller Consulting. He is an RF engineer, and he's here to tell us all about the radio signals that we use with our drones. Uh, Dane, you are an RF engineering expert. 
Um, and I'll be honest, when you first came and talked to me, I was like, I don't really understand how this applies to drones, and then you convinced me pretty quickly. So tell me, uh, you know, what did you, what did you talk about today, and why is RF uh, important for drones? Well, the important part is to understand signal fundamentals. Um, what we talked about was signal quality and what affects that signal, be it the, the signal strength, the noise, what makes all of that, what causes noise, and then the signal availability and, and the assurance, how, how guaranteed is that signal. So what I tried to do is, is cover the fundamentals and how can you take a look at those signals using test equipment. And the important test equipment is a spectrum analyzer that will help you look at not only your signal, but any other signals that are around, and looking for an interferer or the bad guy that's jamming the frequencies because he doesn't want to see the drone flying in his neighborhood. So most of these drones are operating on unlicensed frequencies, and you can easily obtain jamming equipment off of the internet in just a short amount of time and money, and you can cause havoc and problems for law enforcement, fire departments, and any public safety agency. So I was just trying to get across the message that they need to have somebody that is very informed on the radio frequency part and how it can affect their mission. Yeah, that's absolutely critical. Do you think that, uh, and I'm putting you on the spot here, but do you think that, uh, you know, public safety agencies have a lot of guys who are managing their radio systems, their 900, 800 megahertz systems. Are those guys that you can talk to about that? Do they typically know enough? The, the radio shop guys would be the first person I would recommend versus the IT department. The radio shop guys understand signals and noise and frequency. They don't know what frequencies are being used with these drone systems, but they can quickly learn and find out. And once they understand it, then yes, they would be your best person to go to in the department and get those guys up to speed and they can work with the drone operators and whatever. What, whatever other departments you need to get all that information together. And they can pool their money together for test equipment. Now, a question that we get a lot too that you sort of addressed today is signal boosters. Um, people, you know, are concerned they're, you know, they're losing the signal at two, 3,000 feet. There's the cheap ones, the little gold foil things that you put around the antennas, right. and then the really expensive ones that uh, if you haven't had children yet, you might want to stand back from. Uh, what, what, uh, what do you make of the signal boosters? Well, signal boosters, are legal to buy, but when you install a signal booster and you exceed the recommendations or the standards for the unlicensed spectrum, then, then I can't recommend that. What you do, you can extend your range, but you're also going to in increase the noise floor and increase in interference for anyone else around you. So it's like cell phone boosters. You can buy those, and if it's a consumer grade, you can use it without any problems, but if you get into an area where you're causing interference for other systems and the FCC gets involved, you could possibly be fined up to $10,000 a day for malicious interference. And uh, how do we get a hold of you if we've got more frequency spectrum questions? Hey, I'm real easy to get a hold of. Uh, uh, I'm at danebrockmillerconsulting.com or my email address is dbrockmiller at gmail.com. Well, thanks so much for coming out. I really appreciate you being here. We'll see you on the next one. Sounds good. Thanks. Next up is Mike Masserino, the Director of Robotics for WS Darley & Sons. If you're not familiar with them, they are a 
uh, uh, over a hundred year old pump company and uh, and do a lot of work in the fire service. They also have a robotics division now that's uh, looking at some newer technology. Uh, in particular, Mike has a drone called the PSI Instant Eye that we're going to talk to him about. Tell me about the uh, the products that you guys carry in the drone space. Yeah, well, in the drone space, um, you know, we sell a lot of DJI, uh, actually, through our friends at Skyfire. And then uh, what I brought with me here is uh, the Instant Eye. Uh, the Instant Eye is a military uh, grade system. Uh, this is heavily used by uh, SOCOM and MARSOC. Uh, what's unique about the Instant Eye is, you know, it has three built in cameras as opposed to a gimbal. So the theory there is uh, less moving parts, less things for folks to break. Uh, this has integrated thermal as well. Uh, so actually, when when we have the thermal sensor on this bird. We have uh, five cameras available. We're able to switch through between flight. Uh, some key features is it's all weather. Um, when I say all weather, you know, winds not excessing 40 miles an hour, rain, uh, hail is going to give us problems, so none of that. But, uh, you know, just a great system that's been proven from the military uh, and is sold as a kit. And so what, what makes this great for public safety? I mean, why do your, why do your guys like it so much? So the, what I'm getting a lot is there's not really much maintenance. Um, so you pull it out of the case, you're able to get airborne in uh, less than a minute. Um, you don't have to plug it into a computer to update firmware or software. Uh, no calibration of compasses. And then, you know, nothing is firefighter proof, but it's as firefighter resistant as possible. Uh, easily field repairable. It's pretty tough. It'll take a beating and it's made in America. Awesome. Yeah, and Made in America is a big deal, as, as we know. Um, what, what does the system cost, and uh, how long does it take to get one? Uh, so we can get you one tomorrow. Um, we got them on the shelves. Uh, we can send them out in a moment's notice. Uh, we sell it as a kit, so two aircrafts, uh, one ground control station, uh, four batteries, uh, spare props, spare motors, charger, case, yada, yada, uh, about $7,800. Uh, your 640 resolution thermal is going to cost you about sixty-four. Uh, so all in, you're looking at around 14000 for two birds, ground control station, spare batteries, thermal. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, man, and yeah. thanks for your continued support of our efforts, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you very yeah, absolutely. much. Thanks for having me. You bet. And last but not least, you heard from him on the last podcast, but it's so important I wanted to get to it again, Michael Asimore from Dynamic International. He's our fabulous uh, grant partner uh, talking about how agencies can get grants to help pay for their programs. Um, so you gave a talk at the conference. Um, obviously, you don't have to recap the whole thing, but if you could just kind of tell me a few things about you know how grants play in the UAV industry and what you've seen so far talking to our guys and working with us. Well, when it comes to grant funding, uh, the first thing that always has to be in place is the belief that it's going to be possible to get it. If uh, the end user wants to get a UAV uh, but doesn't believe it's possible to get the funding, they're dead in the water right off the bat. Once that belief level's there, uh, the next step is really making sure that your city administrators, your leadership at your agency are all on board and uh, believe that the project is viable and it makes sense. Once that's in place, you can actually begin doing the work, finding the grants, the specific federal grants or state grants or private grants. Um, from there, filling out the application. Sometimes you might have to write what's called a justification paper, which basically is a case explaining why um, the project is a problem, showing how big it is, uh, showing how the project solves the problem, implementation from day one to 12 months, how you're going to implement the project, and ultimately a dollar amount. Um, once the application and the justification paper are submitted, uh, it's a matter of a wait and find out what's going to happen. Once you receive the, the award, uh, from there you're able to uh, execute spending the funding. And uh, this specific part of the public safety market, drones, is a, grants are going to play a huge role. Uh, it is a product that they're probably 
taking state by state anywhere from 50 to 70 grants that an agency could apply for to get the funding. Yeah, and it, you're sort of demystifying the process for people, which I think is great because they ask us these questions all the time, and I, I don't, I hadn't had any way to answer them. But um, do you see? I mean, are they? These are grants specifically for drones. I know that um, some of the FEMA grants actually in the past have not uh, given funding for drones. Have you run into any problems in that front? I mean, are people? Is this too new of a technology for certain grants? What I find is when uh, the way I describe grants to an end user is think of a funnel. The bigger the funnel, the more opportunities can be funneled into it. Very rarely you're going to find a small enough funnel that's going to be a UAV only grant. If it happens, it might happen. Maybe there might be one, maybe two grants that are uh, executed from the federal level, maybe mandated from the federal government, or maybe a state grant. Uh, where they get state uh, law enforcement funds like, let's say, the JAG or Justice Assistance Grants. The state identifies we're going to set X aside uh, dollar amount for drones. A majority of the time what I'm seeing in terms of drones and grants is that uh, it's usually a public safety grant. Uh, it's usually a grant that deals with disaster preparedness or disaster recovery, uh, uh, properly equipping a public safety agency with, uh, with a drone. Um, sometimes it might be a, a community enhancement or community development grant, uh, but very rarely are you ever going to see a grant that specifically says this is a grant for just drones. Got it. And is there, as far as uh, funding amounts, is there a sweet spot? I mean, I know a lot of the guys that come to us, you know, they're looking at somewhere between twenty-five and fifty thousand dollars for you know various equipment and, and services. Is that a lot? A little? You know, how does that play in the in the rest of the market? $50,000 is actually a really nice dollar amount, and the reason I say that is because you can get a private grant that's going to cover $50,000. You can get a state grant and a federal grant that's going to cover that. So that dollar amount isn't too high, it isn't too low. I guess sweet spot would be a great way to describe it. Okay. Awesome. Um, what do people need to be doing specifically to prepare for uh, applying for a grant or before they speak to you? Um, you know, what homework should they do before they get to you? I always recommend any end user I talk to, they got to have a quote. Uh, make sure they know the dollar amount they need. Once they have that in place, I'm more than happy to have a dialogue with them. Uh, I'll ask them specific questions to get a feel of where they're at. Uh, it's case by case. I might send an end user back to talk to the leadership of the department because they might have a quote from you and they might say, you know what, I got this quote, I want to buy a drone, but the chief hasn't signed off on the project. Until that chief talks to them, there's nothing we can really do. Sometimes the, the chief might be on board, but you got to get approval from city council. Um, but if they have that quote, I'll talk to them. And I'll be honest with you, if they don't have a quote and they call me up, I'm still going to talk to them. I'm just probably going to send them back to get the quote first. Awesome. Uh, one other thing you mentioned to me that I thought was really interesting was uh, the idea of setting up a 501c3 or a nonprofit for your fire department or police department. Why is that a, a helpful thing to do? Yeah, there, um, there are going to be grants. Uh, if you're a 501c3, you have that in place. Uh, you'll be able to open yourself up to an additional uh, funding sources where they'll specifically say requirements have a 501c3 in place. But if you have that in place and you're um, the best way I describe it is if your project is going to solve a problem that that grantor feels deserves to be uh, given money to and you have that 501c3 in place, it's a perfect fit. It's a tax write-off for the people who are granting the money as well. Absolutely, yeah. And they said they, they have set aside that money. That's uh, The purpose of that grantor is to give that money away to viable projects. 
Excellent. Well, thank you so much again for your help, and I look forward to uh, our continued partnership and some great success in getting you guys some grant funding for your programs, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Well, I'd like to say a big thank you to all of our speakers at this year's Public Safety UAV Symposium. We'll be doing it again this coming February in Austin, Texas, and we hope all of you can join us there. Uh, once again, thanks for listening to Skyfire Radio. You can find us online at skyfireconsulting.com or shoot us an email at info at skyfireconsulting.com. We'll see you next time.